certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. A police officer has told court of the day he seized the car driven by Bradley Edwards in the 1990s. Welcome to day 65 of Claremont in Conversation. Natalie Bongiolo, Alison Fan, and Tim Clark with you. This was a huge uh, breakthrough at the time, wasn't it? And huge news at the time when this car was found and seized. Yeah, it was, Nat. Um, because uh, it was just incredible that they, they were even, that this car even existed still. Um, so this is a, a Holden Commodore Series VS um, white station wagon that uh, it was driven between 1996 and 1998 by Mr. Edwards as his work vehicle, his main work vehicle. Um, we heard quite a lot about vehicles back in uh, in the uh, before Christmas in this part of the trial, but now we're getting to why this vehicle is important, and it was important because prosecutors say fibres from the seat inserts and the carpet in that car um, were found in on both uh, Jane and Kira's bodies um, many many years after they, those bodies were discovered, uh, and uh, as you say, today we heard from the officer who. Um, uh, executed the search warrant on uh, some poor unsuspecting chap up in Chidlow, which is uh, up in the hills of, of Perth, who was still driving that car uh, 20 years later. He was using it um, as uh, as his business vehicle as well, quite a different business, a, a gardening business. Um, but he got this knock on the door from uh, Detective uh, Stuart Richardson, who said, sir, um, we need to seize your car, please. Um, and obviously then they had to explain why and the uh, search warrant that was showed in court today obviously made uh, reference to macro so um, which pretty much everyone in Perth knew was the Claremont investigation so what that uh, what that gardener must have made of those three officers coming to uh, coming to his property on in Chidlow checking the car checking the VIN number and then putting it on the back of a tow truck and taking it back to uh, the major crime offices in Perth Um, and this all happened in the the same 24 hours that Mr. Edwards was arrested. So, um, yeah, quite an amazing week um, yeah. just before Christmas in 2016. That's right. It was an absolutely extraordinary day and it was December the 22nd, as you mentioned, just before Christmas. And Ali, do you remember that when when the news came through that they had not only arrested um, someone in relationship to the Claremont serial killings, but they'd also found this car from decades earlier that that um, he had been driving back in those years. Absolutely. It's amazing, as Tim was saying, that the car was still around um, some 20-odd years later. I certainly remember the day. It was my son's birthday, and I remember exactly <laughs> what happened that day, as you do. <laughs> December 22, and, and quite... Was that a coincidence that they actually found the, got the car the same day as they were, were arresting him <laughs> we, that, we haven't that later on? We have yet, Ali, but I, I, I get a suspicion that, um, that it might have been organised um, given that the urgency of everything and they certainly didn't want anything happening to that car given it had taken them nearly 20 years to find it um i I think they um they moved in a in a 
in a classic pincer operation and um, made sure that any evidence that was in there was uh, was secured um, because we saw pictures today in court of the bonnet up. So they were checking the VIN number to check it was the actual white car because it was a different registration number than it had been back in when Mr. Edwards was driving it. And then it was all forensically sealed up and, and towed away. So Stuart Richardson, um, he he talked about studying the car in situ, taking all these photographs, mm. which you saw, and then it was towed away and um, taken to the forensics department, was it? Yes, that's right. So they've got a forensic office in a place called Midland, which is a suburb of Perth, where they do a lot of vehicle examinations for um, you know forensic purposes. Um, and this became obviously a very urgent job. Uh, um, and tomorrow we think we're going to hear from some of the officers who actually examined that car and we will get to see um, photographs of, of that examination um, taking place. Um, obviously, they, they knew what they were looking for. Obviously, any physical link um, to either Kira or Jane or Sarah, um, even though uh, she did um, disappear before those two. Um, and then they were also, and, and this is why it's come, coming up at this part of the trial, um, because they were also getting um, samples of the fiber from within that car, from the seat inserts, from the back cargo place uh, area, from the carpet. Um, and, and as I've mentioned before, they also then uh, subsequently found blue fibres, which we also know are important because they say they came from Mr um, Edwards's work attire. And today, as you mentioned yesterday, Tim, um, we did hear from uh, this witness who was very highly regarded as a fibre expert with the Australian Federal Police. What did he have to say on the stand today? Yeah, so this is Professor James Robertson. Um, He was for many, many years the head of forensic um, science unit at AFP, which is the Federal Police, the National Police Service in Australia, so very highly regarded, has literally written the book on both forensic examination of fibres and hair. Um, And for two years, he was in possession of Kira's hair. Um, It was sent over there um, to um, uh, examine and study, and uh, Professor Robertson was part of that examination. Um, And from... uh, video link from Canberra this morning he explained how he took possession of the hair and then um, very quickly after taking possession out of it made some slides um, that, that that came from the hair took a sample of various hairs from that um, hair, hair mass put them onto slides um, and then there was quite a big gap um, and then he did some more examinations um, the following year um, and uh, as I tried to explain um, somewhat simplistically last week um, amongst these slides that uh, Professor Robertson made um, we think are some of the fibres that were captured and that become always the, the, the the list of critical fibres. So um, a very diverse, um, as we've explained, uh, intercontinental, intrastate, massive police investigation and all these disparate um, threads are are now um, finally coming together and we're coming towards the, the end of the prosecution case, bringing it all together. And was Dr Robertson cross examined and questioned about cross contamination and these issues? No, not he wasn't, thing, was he? No, no, no I think they are pulling together, um, actually av- avoiding any what they say unnecessary uh, lengthening of this trial, seeing they've put quite strong limits on, on what's being said and they are pulling together, but he wasn't cross-examined at all. 
Interesting. And what about um, uh, Stuart Richardson, who we just spoke about? Was he cross-examined? Once again, no, Nat. Um, I mean, it's more a the more structural witnesses. I, I think having the word professor ahead of your name might give you a little <laughs> bit of seniority in the court, and um, you might you might want to trust the head of forensics at the AFP that they might want to do um, things properly. But we still got she saw all the forms, all the uh, labelling, all the numbers, and even though that um, exhibit was uh, in Canberra for nearly two years. Um, it seemed to seem to be accepted by Mr. Edwards's defence that um, that everything was done above board, and the same with um, uh, with uh, the detective this afternoon. But um, as I say, the the, the more um, uh, important methods that were done to that car, we think are kind of come tomorrow by the actual police who spent days and days poring over it um, and pulling out um, these fibres, both blue and grey, which um, which prosecutors say link it link it and uh, mr edwards to the girls yeah well the next telstra week- navy isn't it isn't what they call them now telstra navy we've got to refer to the actual uniform yes. that special yeah. dark telstra yeah, navy right. or t was, navy yeah it was it was so important it got its own <laughs> uh, name ali yes yeah. and um <laughs> and and i'm um, briefly so one of the handles on the driver's um uh, uh, seat um, when we get to that point, uh, presumably tomorrow, when police took that handle off the actual door physically, um, apparently or uh, allegedly 13 of these uh, blue fibres were still um, secreted under that handle, which, um, which again, is one of the crucial links that prosecutors show. Mr Edwards was in that car and potentially Jane and Kira were in that car um, in his presence on yeah. the night that nights that they both died and, and they were the um what they call i was fascinated to hear that there are only two types of fibers one natural presumably these are the synthetic there's only two lots one's natural and one's man-made yeah and I mean, these are the tools yeah these are the um rayon and polyester well, ones they, which are the synthetic type of fiber that's right and so this was very interesting this next hmm. witness um who really had fascinating explanations of the various fibres, how they study the fibres, how the fibres look and how the fibres even can look a different colour through different people's eyes. Oh, totally, because I find that fascinating, that whole exchange to do with the colour. It explains a lot of puzzling exchanges I've actually had with my husband, who I always accuse <laughs> of being colour blind, because I say to him, the blue shirt. And he said, you know, you mean the grey shirt? And I said, no, the blue one. And so we have this conversation until I've just accepted that he is slightly colour blind. But now it's all been explained to me that the colours are all linked back to the person's eye. I, I found all of that very, very interesting. And she explained it very well. Um, the... Uh, forensic scientist Belinda Evans about how it, it's all to do with the the person's eye and how they perceive it but she's got a special tool that can actually tell the true colour okay. not the colour perceived by the human eye well talk us through this how did she explain it well she explained it about um, some example of a dress that a few years ago when when some people swore that it was black and blue and others were saying it was gold and white and that she explained that um, this particular tool that she used to distinguish that the colour was actually the Telstra Navy other than something else was this 
particular uh, tool that she has that interprets light. I, I don't know the name of the tool, but I do remember this particular um, dress. 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 Yes. yes, and and mm. I saw the dress as white and gold, and this was huge. I mean, it was went viral at the yeah. time, didn't it? And and this lace yeah. bodycon dress, and to me, it was white and gold, but to half of the office, it was black and blue. So um, tell us about the actual equipment she was using and why this was important, Tim. It's called a microspectrophotometer, apparently, but MSP for short. Um, and yeah, as, as, as Ali said, so uh, Belinda was, um, Belinda Evans was explaining how different people sometimes see different colours in different ways. And so to um, get all scientific about it, as that's what they're paid to do at the Chem Centre, they have this special photometer that actually measures the colour and, and can distinctly and uniquely and definitely tell what colour it is rather than relying on your eyes, which might tell you one thing or another. And as we said, this this is going to become vitally important because this Telstra Navy that is uh, that, that makes up these fibres was supposedly unique to this particular um, uniform. Um, and obviously the prosecutors want to um, eliminate any other type of blue um, from that fibre um, uh, it being possible uh, as, an, as another possible source. And uh, as we know, and as... as um, the, uh, the defence lawyers have pointed out there were many, many police officers wearing blue uh, around both those scenes yeah. where Kira yeah. and Jane were, um, were found. And so they need to rule out that it could be a uh, police navy. They need to firm up that it's a Telstra navy. Oh, no, I was just saying the same thing. The um, Because when I first heard that it was a Yakka made... Um, uh, fabric. I thought, well, surely you, you have other people wearing the same particular polyester uh, workwear, but they're now saying that it was an absolutely definitive navy, Tilstra navy, so that nobody else had. So they did make it just for Tilstra. So that explains quite a bit because up until then, I thought, well, half the workforce in WA would be wearing that type of neighbor, navy, um, you know, shorts or trousers. Yeah, that's right. And did Belinda Evans uh, also talk about, um, you know, how easy it is to transmit fibres and how she collected the fibres when she did the examination and those sorts of things? Yeah, very much so, Nat. So uh, she spent basically the first two hours of her evidence laying out the, the detail of, of how fibre analysis in terms of criminal investigation and identification of different fibres is done, complete with a 51-page uh, PowerPoint presentation, which was handed up to Justice Stephen Hall to explain all these things. Um, and I, uh, Carmel Barber Gallo jokingly came up to me during a break and said that was especially for me because she knows that uh, that uh, our podcast listeners are, uh, are eagerly awaiting this section of the trial. So uh, that, was, that was very kind of her. I did apply for the, uh, the PowerPoint presentation, but not backed by Justice Hall. So there we go. But um, uh, yeah, and, and that was one of the, the more... Um, uh, understandable parts of the presentation so i say in that she was explaining how different fibers get can transfer and obviously they're very easy to transfer in some cases but other in other cases other other different types of fiber are not as easily transferable and she was also explaining how uh, different um, material when different materials come together they can shed um, fibers at a different rate um, and 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 
different propensity to shed them as well. So, yeah, all, all very fascinating stuff. And um, as we said yesterday, the audio is now available on the Supreme Court website. So any any budding fibre forensic analysis uh, experts should get on there and have a listen to uh, Belinda's um, uh, uh, statements and uh, evidence today because it really uh, it was very interesting. Um, it, even though I might sound like a bit of a nerd, it does uh, it does appeal to me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think even, you know, even the ways which, you know, Brendan has spoken to us about it, but the ways in which they collect the fibres using tweezers and, and shaking and vacuum and tape lifts and then how they actually distinguish between these fibres is, is really quite extraordinary. Even though we are continuing on with all the actual journeys of, of all of these exhibits, it's, um, as I said, quite quite interesting to follow. Um, and, um, yeah, and we'll hear more about it tomorrow. Yeah, the exactitude, as I was just about to say, the exactitude of, of when they actually then do the tape lifts and they've got all these microscopic fibres that can be less than a millimetre um, in diameter. Look at them through the microscope, distinguish them, then then have to tabulate them all. And we and we got just to the start of that, at right, at that right at the end of the day. Um, and, I mean, we, we, it, it sounds like a lot, but, I mean, just 20 fibres uh, in Jane's case, just over 40 fibres in Kira's case and in the case of the Karakata victim, which was the one they were talking about today, just one single fibre found on those uh, on those shorts that were left behind at the cemetery. So, yeah, um, we're going to hear a lot more about that, as Ali says, um, in, in terms of um, tape lifts and in terms of um, lifts out of uh, out of this this car that um, that that was uh, that was discovered all those years later. And does Bradley Edwards look interested in this uh, portion of the trial? Uh, hard to tell that, as it's been hard to tell anything from uh, from his body language over the over the near, nearly five months that we've been uh, mm. sat together in this courtroom. Um, he was taking again, uh, taking copious notes today, um, furiously scribbling away. I think it's probably him and me that have taken the most notes <laughs> over the last five months, and then those notes are then sort of looked at by his his lawyers and solicitors in the breaks just to see if there's anything that they might have missed or um, anything that they think they should pick up during uh, during any uh, analysis of the evidence that's come out um, and then um, uh, and then away again onto the onto the uh, onto the bus and, and back to his, his cell and uh, we do it all again tomorrow yep and was Belinda Evans cross-examined no so we, we only got um, to her evidence in chief um, today Nat so she will carry on tomorrow because there was um, Many more examinations that she did over the journey at the Chem Centre, so no doubt we'll go through those in some detail tomorrow. Um, and then uh, possibly, um, as I say, get to the forensic police officers who um, went over that car with a fine-tooth comb. So we've got, um, we've still got um, plenty left, uh, plenty left to go through, um, um, even though the uh, the, uh, the public gallery is um, is 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 thin. Yeah. Well, it will be very interesting to hear what those officers have to say. Thank you both for your time today and thanks for your company. We'll be back tomorrow with Tim and Damien Cripps for day 66 of Claremont in Conversation. Chat then. This podcast was produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. 
for a fresh take on the news that matters, tune in to WA's newest morning show, The West Live, with Jenna Clark at thewest.com.au. The West Live not only delivers on what the day's big news stories mean for WA with hard-hitting interviews and analysis, but it will also make you smile with light-hearted chats and local gossip. The West Live, like talkback radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.